So as we come to this passage, it makes me think uh, there's a lot of there's a lot to, to do with unity in this book, if you haven't noticed. And today our passage has a lot to do with unity as well. And it's made me think of the many organizations that I've been a part of in my life, both the churches that I've served and even working at Murray High School now as that part of that organization. Or even like in my younger days when I was playing sports and doing all that and any in the kinds of sports teams that I was a part of. One thing that, that really binds all of those experiences together is the need for unity in order to have success. A group doesn't have a group that doesn't have unity is not going to do anything well together in the long run. You can bring it together a group of very talented people even and have a group of really talented individuals, but if they can't work together, they're going to get nothing done. They will serve their own interests rather than the interests of others, and the group's goals will move to the back, and the individual's goals will start to take precedence, and they will all move in different directions, which is a really easy way to tear a group apart. In our text today, Paul uses a specific conflict in the church there in Philippi to teach us about unity and how unity can then bring joy and peace in the life of a believer. And we realize that we are of the same mind with other believers, not just here in this church, but really all believers, that we are one with Jesus, and it's then that we can experience most the joy and the peace that we have in Christ. So as we consider this text, I want to look at those three ideas. A call for unity, a call for joy, and then lastly, a call for peace. And so let's look together at the text, Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 9. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Philippians 4, verses 2 through 9. I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things, which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. This is God's Word. You may be seated. So as we begin this kind of closing section of Paul's letters, many of Paul's letters have the same kind of pattern at the end. He has like an introduction, then he has kind of the meat of the letter, and then he kind of goes into this kind of closing section where he has a few remarks. He usually gives some specific instructions maybe to individuals in the church. We see that a few times in the New Testament. And then we have this kind of list of to-dos, like do these things, kind of general commandments followed by his closing remarks. And he generally follows that pattern here in Philippians, yet we don't want to think of these words as being separated from their overall context. As 
we move into this specific call to unity seen in our passage today, it's definitely linked to the immediate context, the overall context of the book. In 3.12-14, Paul, Paul speaks about how he has not arrived yet, that he's this long journey of sanctification that he is on. And you pair that with the specific instructions for, the instructions for the believers to stop their quarreling and to come together in unity. Last week we were instructed to hold true to what we have obtained, to press forward in our sure faith. And this week we see the same kind of idea come out with specific calls to joy and peace in our shared faith. We refer to this letter, we refer to this letter's historical context quite a bit because that's important, right? We talk about the history and everything that was going on here. But as you read, it's easy to see how this could have very easily been written for the church today. So we move into our final week studying this book. I think this is particularly key for us. That it's not our call to unity, not, or it's a call to unity not only for them, but it's a call to unity for us today. Also finding common ground with the saints that have gone by. Their struggle then is our struggle now. And these instructions are still necessary and true for us today. And that brings us to the first point, a call to unity. Look with me again at verses 2 and 3 of chapter 4. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. There's quite a bit here. We could spend a lot of time here just on those two verses, honestly. These two ladies are mentioned nowhere else in the New Testament. And the nature of their dispute is uncertain at best. We can't really just come to it and decide what we think they were upset with each other about. One thing could be made certain here, though, is all the people mentioned here, all these names that you see, Euodia, Syntyche, Clement, and this unnamed true companion, all of them were special to Paul and important to the church in Philippi. How do we know? Well, the word here used is labored. It says he labored side by side with them. That word there is where we get our word athlete from. That they athleted together. It doesn't even make sense. That's why we don't say that. If you read it here, it looks like they, I mean, you could say that they competed together. right? They competed side by side. It denotes the idea that they've battled together side by side in the spiritual war that the church is engaged in, was engaged in against the world, not against the people of the world at all. We're not talking about that. But against the spiritual forces, against our own sin, against our own frailty. The work of the Gospel is a daily struggle and they had done it together. He calls them His fellow workers. Not only those who have struggled together toward a common cause, but those who have a common future and a common hope in Jesus and eternal glory that awaits them. I say all this first so that we can better understand what's going on here. Paul calls these two women to agree in the Lord. And he calls on this one, this true companion, whoever that is, alongside them as their mediator in this agreement or this disagreement. The word here for agree is literally be of the same mind. And some of your translations probably say that. 
When we hear the word agree, we have this other kind of connotation that comes to our mind, right? That they probably, we, we see this situation where you have two different people and they're, they're asked to agree on a set of terms or a set of clauses, right? These things that they disagree on, they're, they're asked to come together on under a common word or even a compromise between them. But that's not what's in view here. Rather, it's a call to share a common outlook on the world, to remember who they are, that they are indeed of the same mind in Christ, that they have a common worldview and perspective on the world on how to think about the events and the people of the world around them. There's this false idea in the church that things like denominations are inherently bad, and that if we were all just truly unified and under all under one roof, agreeing 100% on a common creed and doctrine that things would be better. It's one of the main reasons behind this whole non-denominational movement. Because they don't want to be seen as being a faction, rather they this call for unity. And so they're the non-denominational denomination. Which is fine. But denominations aren't bad. Having doctrinal disagreements is a sign of sin in the world, but not necessarily a sign of sin between two people or between two different schools of thought. All that is to say that while we are not called to agree on every single point of doctrine, because we can't, we're sinful, we, nobody knows every single point of doctrine, we are called to be of the same mind because we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who, of, who is of all and over all. We get that in Ephesians 4. We're called to strive together against the world that is without hope that is harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, because we know the shepherd. We know Jesus. We have the mind of Christ. We are called, brothers and sisters, to be of the same mind. Whatever the disagreement between these two ladies is, Paul isn't calling them to compromise. He's not calling them to agree on every single point, but rather to remember the common ground that they have in Christ. The church in most of the rest of the world gets this because they live in places that haven't been inhabited by Christianity for hundreds of years, maybe even thousands of years. Places that the church was at 2,000 years ago but hasn't been there since. But for us, we still have a culture that retains some of the visible signs, at least, of a once more vibrant Christian culture. If we don't remember that we are of the same mind with other believers, the world will slowly encroach into the church and it will one day be hard to distinguish the church from the world. We are not of the same mind with the world, but one another we are in Christ. And while we can disagree on doctrine, we can hold our own distinctives, we must agree on the Lord. We must hold firmly together to Christ. I encourage you, to reach out to other believers from other churches a lot more frequently than we do. I encourage you to remind them of the common ground that we have and rejoice in our common Savior. And that brings us to the second point, a call for joy. Look with me again at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I, I will say rejoice. Through this book, we have seen this theme of joy come out, how Paul's joy is not only in Christ. But it's also in the church that he finds great joy 
in the church. He loved ministering to and laboring beside the people of God. He called the church of Philippi his joy and his crown there in verse 1 of chapter 4. You, you kind of get this, right? This kind of parental kind of pride. Watching them take their first steps. Watching them go out into the world and succeeding on their own. As a parent, I totally understand this deep sense of joy and satisfaction watching my children grow and succeed and thrive on their own. When it comes to our unity in Christ, we have this common joy together. A joy and a pride that we have in a common Savior and a joy that we experience in common experiences and triumphs together. I'd go so far as to say that even in our most difficult times, the church is able to reflect back and to see the joy that comes in the morning and see how God has been there through all things with us and for us. So with that, we can see then how verse 5 makes sense. Look at verse 5. This idea of rejoicing, verse 5 says, then let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. We have joy in Christ. Common joy and a common Savior that should cause us to express that to each other and to the world with reasonableness, which is a really a mouthful to say. It could be understand as, as gentleness, but really it's even more than that. It's just mercy. It's an understanding of our shortcomings, a forbearance or a restraint because of those things. When I studied this word, this uh, this big word here, made me to understand, helped me to see my own shortcomings here in so many ways and so many times. How I know and experience the understand and understand the joy that I have in Christ and want others to experience that also. Yet it's my unreasonableness so many times that gets in the way. It's a lack of restraint at times. It's a lack of mercy that others may see. They know me as a man of truth and accuracy, but maybe not so much as a man of mercy and leniency. One doesn't negate the other. You can have truth and mercy at the same time. Of course, our Lord Jesus was a master of that. He drove out the money changers from the temple, yet He called Zacchaeus the tax collector down from the tree so that He could have dinner with them. He called the Pharisees the sons of the devil. Yet he shares the gospel with one of the devil's sons, Nicodemus. It's because of, it's because Jesus knew this balance. He rejoiced always, yet he held to the truth. Look at verse five again. Let your reasonable, reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. We need both truth and mercy on our lips, whether it be with each other or with the lost world. For each other, we must keep short accounts with one another, speaking the truth, yet being swift to mercy and love at the same time. We cannot labor side by side with those that we cannot show mercy to and receive mercy from, for that matter. And when it comes to the world, even Jesus is preach this very plain message, right? Repent and believe. The kingdom of God is at hand. It was plain. It was unmoving. It was unyielding, accurate, and precise. Yet as Jesus lived and walked among the people, He loved them. He showed them mercy. They were sinners. They were His enemies. 
but he came to save his enemies from their sins. He fed them. He healed them. He spoke tenderly to them. He showed them dignity and compassion that they did not deserve. He showed them mercy. How are we doing this, church? How are we doing it with each other here in this building? How are we doing it with our fellow believers in this town who we may not see eye to eye with on everything, but we are of the same mind? How are we showing one another mercy? How are we doing this for a lost world? It's a call for us to rejoice in the Lord and let that joy overflow into showing mercy for all. In this, we will see that the cares of this world, it's this, it's at this moment when we rejoice and show mercy that we see the cares of this world go to the back of our minds. And that brings us lastly to a call for peace. Look with me at verses six and seven again. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It would make sense that those who are of the same mind and that they should rejoice in a common Savior and then trust that Savior then to take care of them. That's the idea here. It's a natural follow-up to unity and joy that we would be at peace. And there is no external peace if there is no internal peace. Do not be anxious about anything. This is a strong command especially to a people who like to be anxious about everything. My classroom, if you've ever seen my classroom, it's really long. I mean, it's, it's probably as long as this room, honestly. And I'm standing on one end of the room, and my door is where that back window is here. And students knock on the door, or people knock on the door, and I have to stop what I'm doing because none of the students can hear because their ears are damaged because of headphones already the age of 14, I'm the only one in the classroom that can hear. And I hear someone knock at the door, and I'm like, i got to go get it. And I wish I could just will it open. You know, like I stare at it long and like just kind of move my hands in a way, and just, just press the digitation, and it would kind of come open. That doesn't work. I've tried it before. It does not work. All of my thinking and hand-waving, none of it actually moves that door. I have to stop what I'm doing and go open it. Anxiety is staring at our problems, thinking about them so hard even that it causes us pain, and then hoping that that will be enough to change them. It's as silly as me opening the door by waving my arms around, and it's just as likely to happen. You contrast that with the second part here, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Isn't that all anxiety is? It's just a series of requests that we're making. I really wish this situation would get better. I wish this person would get better. I wish this conflict would be resolved. I wish age wasn't catching up with me or the ones that I love. I wish I had the money to do the things that I wanted to do. I wish, I wish, I wish. Anxiety is making requests at nothing and hoping something will happen. Paul gives us an alternative, and it's a good one. Make those same requests to God. And what will be the result? 
doesn't say that we're going to get everything that we want. That would be bad. We're sinful. We're still struggling. We don't need everything that we want. But what will be the result? Verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Making our requests known to God, something, someone, will give us peace. And it's a peace that guards our hearts and our minds. I love this language here. It's a picture of soldiers guarding a gate, protecting, keeping watch. Rather than letting our sin trample our hearts and our minds to the ground, prayer grants us peace that guards our hearts and our minds against such things. This seems simple enough. And if we lived out, if we lived with the same mind with one another, if we rejoiced always, not being anxious would be a natural outflow of that, but we don't. We have lots of unnecessary conflict in our lives. Rather than finding joy, we dwell on hopelessness and no way out of the simplest of dilemmas. The simplest things cause us to think that the world is coming to an end. This isn't to belittle the problems that we have, of course. Sin is this far-reaching curse going to every corner of the world, including every corner of our minds and our hearts. It's a constant battle. It's a constant battle. Like Paul and his friends in Philippi, we must battle side by side. Labor together if we plan to have success. And we must make these requests known to God because only through Him can we find peace. And it's the peace of God that will watch over us and guard us. How can we guarantee that we will do these things? He tells us, verses 8 and 9, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I find that the times of my life where I'm lowest is when I'm thinking about the exact opposite of this list that we're given here. When I'm dwelling on things that are false and dishonorable. When I'm dwelling on injustice. When I'm dwelling on impurity. When I'm dwelling on unlovely things. In Christ we are called children of light because He is the light of the world. He's, He's given us this light. The light that we have is in Christ. But I find myself constantly seeking the comfort of darkness and wondering then why I can't find any rest. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And He is in all these things. He is true. He is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. In Him is excellence. He is absolutely worthy of our praise. There is nothing else in this world that can satisfy. And there is no one else who can bring unity to His church and cause us to rejoice. In Him and Him alone do we find peace, not just peace for our minds, but peace for our souls for all eternity. In Him we have been reconciled to God. Because of Jesus there is peace between God and His people. Outside of Him there is no peace. There is no unity. There is no joy. No hope. And if you're an unbeliever here today, I want you to hear that. You already know it to be true. You see it. You feel it every day. There's no shred of unity in the world around you other than the fact that everyone without Christ is doomed and hopeless 
That is the only thing they're unified in. There is no joy, no peace. It's only in Jesus that you can find these things. Call out to Jesus Christ today and be saved. Confess that that He is Lord. Believe in your heart that He has been risen from the dead and you will be saved. Repent and believe. The kingdom of God is at hand. For the believers here today, this is a call for unity. And again, definitely for us here today at Redeemer Community Church, definitely that, but all the churches in Murray and Western Kentucky, we need to labor side by side. The world is encroaching. This is definitely doing so. It's doing so in our hearts and our minds. It's doing so in our seats. And we need to be aware and we need to be ready. We need to labor side by side to show the world that Jesus Christ is Lord. And let us rejoice in all things. It's in this that we, it's in this rejoicing that we will see Christ and cast our cares upon Him because He cares for us. Be anxious about nothing. Rather take your concerns to Christ and find rest for your hearts and minds and show the world Jesus so that they too can have peace. Let's go to Him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, we are thankful for the unity that we have in You, for the joy that we can speak about. It is a joy that is unspeakable, but it's a joy that we should continue to speak of daily, to dwell on, to think on daily. Lord, we pray that You would show us more and more the peace that surpasses all understanding and with it guard our hearts and our minds against the things of this world not only as individuals, but as us, as this church, even the churches here in this community, that we would seek You, that we would make our requests made known to You, not at nothing. Nothing can do nothing. But You are able to give us the peace that passes all understanding. Lord, guard our hearts and our minds in such peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me now as we sing our response to God's Word.